it's always interesting when my two career paths engage with each other. For instance, one of the things that we sit with in psychology all the time is the fact that ambiguity fights with control. There are things in your life that you can control, and then there are things in your life that are simply ambiguous, that are simply uncontrollable. Here I am, thinking that I have a beautiful plan for the next four episodes of Fish Bites. Here you are listening to it last week and saying, oh, I like this idea. I like this Fish Bites, the Fishies uh, final awards. I like the fact that we're going to have some interviews coming up shortly. And I, I love the fact that we're going to allow ourselves, the fans, to vote for the Fishies. And then ambiguity happens. Because if you are listening to this, you're likely a Marlins fan who is already aware that the Marlins have extended Don Mattingly. They've also extended Miguel Rojas. There's a million and a half different things that I could have prepped for, and neither of them were those two. Now, interestingly enough, one of those conversations is something I was asking for in Miguel Rojas, and the other conversation was something that I was most definitely on the other side of the aisle on, which, of course, is going to lead to an interesting episode today because that plan of having an interview and having our results and all that is out the window. It's out the window because, well, we need to discuss this. We need to discuss the good. We need to discuss what might be the criticism. And in reality, we have to have a conversation about what this means for the organization. So today on Fish Bites, a Fish Stripes podcast shown on Sirius XM, Slam Radio XM Channel 145, Myself is going to have a conversation with you about what this means for the Marlins and what it means for the fan base. We're going to start off with the fact that, yes, Don Mattingly has been extended through 2021, and I'll give you my thoughts on that, I promise. We're going to discuss the Miguel Rojas extension. We're also going to discuss something that came up on our timeline and uh, was something a few listeners wanted to continue discussing, which was the progress of Isan Diaz. I'm going to give you three very interesting splits that he has, which may tell us something about his performance that is not shown at the face value normal box scores. Some positive, some negative, but you're going to want to stick around to have that conversation. We're going to start off with Don Mattingly. Uh, you know, the Marlins just finished having their presser with Mattingly, with Mike Hill, and with Derek Jeter, of course. And the reality is that I was incredibly shocked, and I was. I was shocked and I was surprised that this is the actual outcome of the question, will Don Mattingly survive after the season? The, the reason for it, number one, is because he quite literally has just set precedent. There are not many examples of managers, whether it's his fault or not, when we're looking at roster construction, that have the win-loss percentage that he has over the last four years and survives to get another fifth year. Now, interestingly enough, some of the examples of those that did come back have actually been very successful, and you could go do your homework on that and see who that is, but it's still incredibly unlikely, and it was unlikely, that this was the case. I've also been very vocal on the fact that I have my own disagreements, and this is an incredibly external view from an inferior level. Right, People pick up a mic, whether it's myself or anyone else, and think that they know baseball. They don't. No one knows baseball more than the people that are in the organization. Do the different organizations have different levels 
of intelligence, of analysis, of understanding, of a feel for the game, absolutely. But if you are listening, unless you are an ex-manager or an ex-GM or whatever the case may be, no, believe it or not, you are not more intelligent than Donnie Baseball, someone who had an incredibly successful career as well. Now, there's the other side of that. There are the individuals that say, well, just because you have never known baseball or because you have never played or you've never managed, you do not get an opinion. That's incorrect as well. Are we, you know, uh, Monday morning armchairing baseball managers? Are we armchairing uh, our sports? Absolutely. We, we concede that, at least those of us that have a brain and those of us that are humble. I understand that when I disagree with the way that Donnie puts together a lineup, at the end of the day, it's still him. And I would probably still take his advice after it. I concede that I don't know everything that's happening in the clubhouse. The people, and this is just really a warning and just a personal thought, I guess. The people that do try to convince you that they know more are the ones that you should likely not pay attention to. With that being said, yes, of course I've had disagreements with the fact that he's done on-field managing, whether it's bullpen usage, and that's really my biggest gripe with Donnie Baseball. It's the way he holds on to his arms on the mound and who he goes to, and I promise you it's not hindsight. You could see my Twitter feed flooded with real-life, time-stamped situations of me saying, well, this isn't going to work out. I don't appreciate the way that we've also utilized some of our younger prospects within the batting order. I don't appreciate the way that there's such high variability from one lineup to the next. All of that is well documented, which then leads to the question of, well, Danny, if you were magically the GM of the Miami Marlins or the CEO, would you have brought Donnie Baseball back? And almost all of me says no. I think that I wouldn't have brought Donnie Baseball back because of the circumstances rather than because of him. And I think that's where there's a level of either maturity or comfort that the Marlins felt comfortable with that an external person and an external voice on a microphone like myself wouldn't be able to get a grasp of. Because the reality is that from the outside, I could very easily say that Don Mattingly and the Marlins were at the perfect point for a breakup. And of course, it wouldn't have even had to have been through termination. It would have simply been through the fact they didn't have to extend him. This would have allowed a new fresh face to come in and then really start this launching pad of the rebuild, which is 2020, forward with a new identity. However, I can understand that my perspective wasn't the one that was chosen and my perspective wasn't the one that they're going with. That there might have been someone in the room that shared my perspective and guess what? That person got outvoted. And when that happens... We don't have to fall into black and white thinking. Black and white thinking in psychology are the extremes. It's either everyone loves me or everyone hates me. Listen, just because the Marlins chose something that I possibly, from my external view with different factors involved, might have not chosen, does not believe, rather does not lead me to say that this is the most awful situation in baseball, or that this was an incredibly ridiculous decision, or that this is going to fail. Because one, I understand who I am and who they are. And two, I understand that I don't have all the information. But what do I see then? How did Donnie Baseball get an extension? Well, for me, it's it's pretty simple. The one thing I can tell you is that the people in that clubhouse, the players in that clubhouse love him. I can tell you that from speaking with them. They love Don Mattingly, the players. And clearly, the ownership seems to agree. 
The other thing I can tell you, and this one isn't from me being there, this is from external. Whenever he speaks, there seems to be a level of transparency of, uh, about him. I would imagine that that doesn't change. If you're not going to be transparent, you know, you're not going to be transparent with the media and you're not going to be transparent with the players. But if you had to choose, you're most likely not going to be transparent with the media. So think about that. Donnie is the inverse. He's actually transparent with the media. I can only imagine that makes him even more of a genuine, authentic individual within that clubhouse. That's what you want when you are a player at a major league level or really at any level whatsoever. Transparency in a plan, transparency in how you're doing, transparency in your development. Whether you're a, a teller at a bank, you're a psychologist in a hospital, or you are a major league baseball player, you want transparency from your superiors and your supervisors, and it seems like he's offered that. In that transparency, we have seen something from Donnie Baseball, which is that his tone, his uh, way of leading almost, at least from what we see in the media, has also become dynamic and adaptive. The Donnie Baseball that we talk to right now in this rebuild is not the same Donnie Baseball that was trying to manage uh, the Giancarlo Stanton Christian Yelich's of the world. He's a different individual. He's bought into a plan. Matter of fact, we're going to talk about Miggy Rowe in a little bit. Miggy Rojas, he spoke about that, that the front office and the management is transparent and that there's a clear, definitive plan that he believes in. I, I think that's how Donnie Baseball got this, got this extension. I I'm assuming that a majority of this is his interpersonal handling of the rebuild and that clubhouse. The fact that the players le legitimately love this man and want to play for him and, pl and win alongside with him. My difference in opinion on in-game decisions is well documented, but just because I disagree at face value at the first step, because the first step is would you have brought him back? Just because I disagree with that first step does not mean that all of a sudden, whether you fall on the, oh, I love this, or, oh, I hate this, everything about it has to be good or bad. So then how do you reassess? How do you reframe? Well, the question, or rather the answer, is, is pretty simple. If we had to bring him back, or if we had chosen to bring him back, my decision, and I sent this out before we knew the parameters of the deal, would have been, well, the perfect amount of years is two years. You extend him for two years. This was, again, stated in everything that I ever say is, is available to everyone, the public. It's available on the airwaves and it's available on Twitter. Before we even knew the numbers, I said two years is the perfect deal. And why was that? Well, because two years puts him at 2020 and 2021. For the eternity of this, or for the length of this rebuild, you have heard me saying the launching pad year for the Miami Marlins rebuild is 2021. Well, this allows you to see and assess if Donnie can really compete with an adequately formed and roster constructed team. Because now he has 2020. That's still a transition year. But you're also giving him 2021 and saying this is when you need to show yourself. In theory, the two years allows Donnie to show himself as an adequate or above adequate manager with competent roster construction. And it's also not long enough to be troublesome for the Marlins organization. Because if by 2021, the Marlins are still not competing, and then you're clearly behind schedule, Donnie goes, Donnie doesn't get extensioned, or doesn't rather doesn't get an extension, and you bring someone in in a, new in a new face when you're about to have a launching pad of a year in 2022. So do I agree with the decision to extend? Part of me says no, 
But if we're going to extend, I think that they did the perfect amount of time. You extend for the two years and you see what he can do. Now, I will say this. Part of my perspective, and this is where people will say, oh, well, Danny, now you're just backtracking. That's fine. You can tell me whatever you want. Part of my perspective in life is that we should be dynamic. And seeing that press conference and seeing the unity between the three, and remember, I I look at things differently. I just do. It's my training. If you're a mechanic, you hear car noises better. If you're a police officer, for better or for worse, you are a lot more protective of your home. You you see things in individuals. Look, profiling, I'm not saying is, is, a, is a negative or a positive thing, but it's part of the training. We have to be able to identify risk. We have to be able to identify safety. You are taught this. Well, listen, as a psychologist, that's what you're taught as well. You're taught to see nonverbal cues. You're taught to see verbal cues. You're taught to be the clearest assessment of what someone is trying to tell you and what someone is trying to not. And if I'm going to be dynamic and I request that of my patients, I should request that of myself. And when I see those three individuals up there and and Michael Hill and Donnie Baseball and Derek Jeter, and you see the unity and you see the nonverbal cues that tell you that they really are on the same page, that this isn't some facade. It's important. It's important. Because it's simply another cue and it's simply another example of the organization all being on the same page. You've heard it from the prospects on earning their stripes. You've heard it from Miguel Rojas if you saw the press conference today. You see it from Don Mattingly. And sure, is there still some political talk, you know, going around the finances and not disclosing certain things? Absolutely. But when they're talking about the fact that Donnie's the right person to lead this team, there's congruency across the board. When they're talking about the fact that continuity with an organization is important, there's congruency across the board. When they're discussing the fact that to have a manager throughout a rebuild, know that it is awful to lose but know that the players gain and develop from something because of the steadfast ability to control his emotions and to control the way that he manages the team, there's congruency across the board. That's what you want to see. Because you know what? At the end of the day, the same way that the Miami Dolphins have decided that they are going to be in this rebuilding process, that the Marlins decided a few years ago, they have decided to extend Donnie Mattingly, and that is the reality of life at the moment. At the very least, it's good to see that there's congruency and that this is not something that they're having issues with or that they're going back and forth with. The Marlins extending Don Manningly is something that surprises me. The Marlins extending Don Manningly for two years is something that I can agree with. And after seeing that presentation, there's a part of me that thinks that it's the right choice. But it didn't stop at Manningly. Because then Miguel Rojas comes out, and this is the best part of the conference. If you can go back and see it again, I'm sure that there will be ways and fashions to replay this video. Please do so, if anything, just for the Miguel Rojas part. Miguel Rojas is someone that, unlike Don Mattingly, I have been stating and asking and advocating for an extension. Now everyone knows that I'm Mr. Pay Ryan Anderson. But if you read some of the articles I put out, Miguel Rojas is someone who should also be paid. Miguel Rojas is the heart of this team. Miguel Rojas has been a leader. And guess what? Miguel Rojas has been good at shortstop and has been good with the bat. Your your Marlins have three 
or rather their top three Marlins in wins above replacement, are all now pieces of the future. Brian Anderson is a four-win player. His his uh, baseball reference wins above replacement is a 3.9, but you know what? I don't think you'll be too angry with me if I give him a 0.1 boost to be a four-win player. Sandy Alcantara is behind him at a 2.6, almost a three-win player. Guess who's right behind him? Miguel Rojas at a 2.4, and he's done this because he's gone from being an elitesman with the glove who was never able to hit and had a, a belief of a low ceiling because he was never going to be able to hit, to suddenly being able to hit, swing the bat. You don't have to worry about a Miguel Rojas only being there on the defensive side. No. No, Miguel Rojas is going to come and he's going to get you that big-time hit. He's going to be able to drive some doubles in for you. He has been effective with the bat in a fashion that we had not seen him do previously he's good he's good and guess what the extension once again is for the right amount of years a two-year contract let's see if he can win with this team let's see if he can continue being that leader that we've seen in the clubhouse i believe it was Derek jeter that mentioned that miguel rojas has almost been an extension to donnie baseball that's the what you want as your when you're a manager, and that's what you want when you have a type top five elite farm system in baseball coming up. You want to walk into that clubhouse, see Miguel Rojas, and know that it's about to go down, and that you better get your game together. You want to walk in, see a Miguel Rojas who didn't have anything handed to him, who wasn't a top uh, signing, who wasn't a top prospect. Who didn't have a magical little 40-man roster spot because he was a top 10 uh, prospect in baseball or in, in the pipeline or in their own system. No, someone who came in every single day and knew that he had to develop because if not, he was going to be out of baseball before he was even in it. That's what you want to see because let me tell you something. For me, that would be a reminder that guys like that are going to come take my job. For that, it would be a reminder that guys like that are the reason that if I'm a... Uh, I don't know. Lower tier prospect. Well, you know what? There's still a place for me in this organization where two years from now, I could be sitting next to the CEO and the GM signing a 10 plus million dollar contract extension. Miguel Rojas being added to the future, at least the, the, the short term future of this team and given some certainty for his family, for himself, for his work ethic is something that should make everyone here happy and someone that should make everyone here excited about the plan of this team. He's a leader. He's committed to this team. He's committed to this community. And there's nothing to really dislike about the man that Miguel Rojas is. He gave us some nice quotes. You know, he told us about the fact, he said, I, but the front office has been transparent for the first day they've been here. And that's something that multiple players have been saying. Again, or prospects have been saying that other major league players have been saying that. Now we hear that from Miguel Rojas. Where I genuinely believe, and this is all my assumption, but when the players say we have been transparent, I believe that at some point, someone, whether it's Derek Jeter or someone else, has been honest and said, listen, I know this is going to be a growing pattern. I know that this is, might be tough. But if you perform, you will be rewarded. And Miguel Rojas has not been the testament of that promise. 
He also gave us the regular thing that we might hear from players, I'm here to win a championship, but somehow it feels more authentic when he says it. I believe that he really is here to win a championship. We've heard that from the Monte Harrisons. We've heard that from other players that have been on the on the show. And yet when Miguel Rojas says it, there is a level of authenticity that I really, truly, and genuinely believe. And I believe it with the other players as well. There's simply more weight when it comes from the captain of that clubhouse. Because if the captain of that clubhouse really portrays himself in that fashion... And by all accounts, everyone looks up to Miguel Rojas in that clubhouse. And you don't look up to someone if you don't believe in them, if you don't trust them, if you think that they're full of baloney. And yet they do. It tells you that he's a man of his word. It tells you that he's not two-faced and that when he says, I'm here to win a championship, you should take him for his word. The Marlins have a plan. We have discussed and from external sources, whether from myself or the top member of the Marlins media, whoever you might want to put up in that pedestal, we all look at it from the external. We all make assumptions of what needs to happen. We all make beliefs and theories of how much they're going to spend and, and whatever the case may be. The people who will ultimately know and decide if they're going to spend, the people who ultimately know and decide what the plan is are in that organization, in that office space. So to hear the captain of this team, because he is, say that we are here because of the transparency of the ownership, because they have a plan, and that my only goal is to win a championship, it should allow you to very easily, like a child connecting the dots, see what the transparency and plan is. Every team could say that, I understand. Every CEO could say the whole little hoopla about this is for a championship, this is for a championship. But when Miguel Rojas says it, it should add a little bit of flavor. It should add a little bit of weight. It should add a little bit of depth to the understanding of what they're trying to build here. Will they succeed? I'm not sure. But the fact that this man got an extension is a good sign for me. I don't think he's the only one that will get an extension before this time next year. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. How about some Isan Diaz conversation? And today will be a quick episode, but I wanted to hit those three topics for you. Isan Diaz, I was doing some homework on him and how he's been playing because everyone wants to know about Isan Diaz. My goodness, we already have some readers who leave comments on Fish Stripes pretending that Isan Diaz is already going to be out of the league in a year. He's already, you know, Lewis Brinson. My God, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't. But that's fine. Everyone's allowed to have their opinion. Even those of us that might pull the trigger a little bit too soon on a 23-year-old. Nonetheless, I digress. I get off the soapbox. Isan Diaz has three very unique splits that might tell us a little something about his mindset and might tell us a little something about his performance. The three splits are home and away, 
high leverage versus low leverage at bats. And then the amount of men on base, whether bases were empty, whether there were men on base, even if it's just someone at first, and then specifically whether there were men in, in scoring position, runners in scoring position. Let's look at these three splits, and we're going to start off with home and away splits. I'll be using on base plus slugging because it captures a good amount of your slash line and weighted runs created plus. You know, I like weighted runs created plus. Remember that the average for that is 100. His home OPS is 737, which is good. So when he's hitting at home, he has an OPS of 737 with a weighted runs created plus of 105. So that is slightly above average. His away OPS sits at 355, that is well below average. And his weighted runs created plus is negative 9 when he is in an opponent's stadium. Remember, weighted runs created plus, an average is not 0, it is a 100 total. He is at a negative 9 when he's not at Marlins Park. Sit with that information, and then we'll talk about it in a second. Second split that's interesting. High leverage at bats. Someone is in running, uh, is in a, is in scoring position. It's late in the game. The game is close. Whatever you might consider high leverage at bat, Fangraphs does a very good job of operationalizing that title. His high leverage at bats. His OPS is over a thousand. A thousand eighty-six. His weighted runs created plus, once again, average is 100, is 178. Basically, if Hassan Diaz is up to bat in a high leverage situation, something clicks, or rather, hint, hint, something unclicks, and he performs. How about low leverage at bats? A little better than his away splits, but not by much. 410 OPS with a 20 weighted runs created plus. Now again, I'm, I want you to look at this, because this split is the biggest of the group high leverage high pressure weighted runs created plus 78 points better than the average low leverage weighted runs created plus a full 80 points below the average a difference of 158 data points between pressure situations and non-pressure situations he absolutely excels when the pressure's on think about that we're going to revisit it third split men on base so base is empty versus men on base which means even someone just at first base and runners in scoring position runners in scoring position his ops is almost a thousand it's in the 900s weighted runs created plus 136 when there's a man on base, even if it's just one at first base, his OPS is above average at 770. Weighted runs created plus, slightly above average at 104. Bases empty. OPS 408. Well below average, even lower than his low leverage at bats. Weighted runs created plus 14. Okay. Here is where future Dr. Danny comes into play and tries to assess what might be happening here because what you're seeing is very clearly, right? So I'm going to split up the splits one more time. He performs above average to well above average at home. He performs average or above average to well above average in high leverage pressure at bats and when men are on base or runners are in scoring position. 
That is the grouping where Isan Diaz is the player that we saw in AAA. Diaz, fly ball, right field, get out of here! A three-run home run for Isan Diaz, and the Marlins are all the way back. We're tied at seven. Well, this young man has a flair for the dramatic. My goodness. Where is he the player that we've never seen before in his career? Well, he's away when there is l no one on base and when there is absolutely no leverage in his at-bats, when there's no pressure. You would think that a young player and a young man would have inverse splits here. You would think that he would have difficulties with the pressure or with being home or with trying to drive runners in. But that then he would sit back when the bases are empty. Because we see this with some players. We saw this with a young Stanton. When the bases are empty. When there's no pressure on. Ah, when you're away and everyone's against you anyway. You would think that's when he would thrive. You would think that, you know, even just going into my field and lifespan development. A young 20-something-year-old would be like, be able to perform like that when things are easy for them. But then when controversy is showing them in the face, they would fail. And yet, Isan Diaz is entirely the opposite. Let me tell you why. Because when you talk to athletes, when you talk to athletes, they tell you that when something, at least a majority do, that when it comes down to the moment, and they don't have to overthink, and they just rely on their natural talent, see ball, hit ball, they perform. This applies incredibly well to baseball because the reality is that baseball is a thinking man's game. I understand that. But the best players, the Javi Baezes of the world, tell you that they just play. Isan Diaz, when he gets up to bat and doesn't have to overthink the situation because the pressure's on, might, you won't ever know until you talk to him, fall back on his natural talent, his natural ability, and the way that he just plays ball. But when you're away and everyone's against you anyway, when there's no leverage at all, there's no pressure, when no one's on base, you and your mind are allowed to race a little bit. You're allowed to spin a little bit. The pressure's not on. That anxiety isn't there. At least not to the level of it is when you're at home and you have fans watching you that you don't want to disappoint in a two-strike count and a man on third. See, it's different. Now, there are some players and there are some individuals that will tell you that they even fine-tune a little bit more. That they eliminate different circumstances because they don't want to overthink in pressure-filled situations. And that they perform better. Here's the two things that I'm getting at. The first one is that Isan Diaz is going to be fine. Because let me tell you something. It's a lot easier to teach someone how to control their mind and be able to replicate what they do under pressure when there isn't pressure than it is to teach someone to generalize what they do when there's no arousal and no difficulty or no pressure when the heat is on. It is a lot easier to take someone who knows how to handle pressure and teach them how to generalize that when there isn't pressure than the other way around. 
And number two, it's just about comfort. It's just about comfort. You know where you see this happen? On his defensive side. On his defensive side. This is one of the best gloves at AAA this year. Let me tell you something. That glove didn't change. The dirt didn't change. The grass did not change. The speed certainly might have changed quite a little bit, but let me tell you something that AAA players, they know how to hit the ball with exit velocity as well. The only thing that changed is the fact that the wheels are spinning a lot quicker at the major league level. And when that changes, you just need to get over your learning curve and you need to find that comfort. Isan Diaz is going to be a good baseball player. I think he's going to be a well above good baseball player. It's going to get there. And those three splits let you know that the talent is present. Those three splits are relatively equal. He has 20 games at home. He has 19 games away. This isn't such a small sample size if we're looking at everything over 150 at-bats. The talent is there. Now we just need to get that mental stability to go across both sections to even out these splits and to find that comfort. It's been a day. Don Mattingly got extended. Miguel Rojas got extended. On the Dolphins side, Josh Rosen is the starting quarterback. There's a lot to talk about, but one of the things that shouldn't be on the table is whether Isan Diaz is going to be a productive major leaguer or not. So, comment if you wish. But let's just go ahead and sit back a little bit. Because eventually, these splits are going to normalize. As always, guys, I know this has been a shorter episode, but I appreciate you listening. I appreciate the fact that we continue to get a good plan of what the Marlins organization is moving forward. And even if I would do things differently from an external and humble point of view, knowing damn well that the people making the decision are more competent than I, it doesn't mean that I have to hate or love everything about it. At the end of the day, sometimes you just need a little nuance in your life. Make sure to follow, make sure to subscribe, make sure to leave a review. Go ahead and find me on Twitter at Danny M underscore MIA. Go ahead and find Fish Stripes on Twitter at Fish Stripes. Make sure to leave a like, make sure to leave a follow. And as always, go fish.